I'll be reading from the first, the letter of 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have test, tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Dean Miller, and I'm on staff here, and happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I was thinking yesterday as I was working on this sermon that I have been here a little over a year, full time with you all, and um, thank you. And I'm still delighted to be here, super thankful for you. So um, let's pray as we come to look at God's word together. Dear Lord, we do uh, gather on the back end of Thanksgiving in the cusp of celebrating Advent and present ourselves to you as our King, as the God who forgives, as the God who welcomes our adoration and teaches us that that adoration actually sets us aright. It, it puts us back to the plumb line we need for whole and true living. So we gather together this morning to, again, be put back aright, to worship and be taught and instructed. We ask that every man, woman, and child that is in this high school today would be loved and taught well this morning, and you would meet with us as we look at First Peter 2. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible and want to turn to First Peter 2, the passage you just heard Michelle read, that'd be great. Um, and as you do that, I'd like you to think about uh, names you have or nicknames. How many of you have, how many of you know what your name means? Just if your kids, uh, when you were a kid, your parents taught you, or how many of you have some nickname? My guess, like in our house, most people have three or four nicknames. The dog has like 27 nicknames. Most of the kids have four or five. You know, we love names and nicknames. And if, if you become a parent, it's a real gift and a privilege and a little bit daunting, right, to name another person. Like you spend a lot of time and energy vetting names, reading books, 
bouncing them off other people, making sure there's no like old boyfriends or girlfriends that are going to be part of names of your kids, like all that sort of thing that happens when you're naming people. And we have names that mean something, right? Like all around what we do, there are names that mean certain things. So if I was to say to you, let's say picture music, and I was to say to you, last week I went and heard the boss music. Who would I be talking about? Springsteen. Look at that. That's like 80% of you. That's pretty impressive. Bruce Springsteen's the boss. He's uh, no longer with us, but if I was to say like 20 years ago, I went and saw the hardest working man in showbiz. Some of you may not know because he's a little older, but that's James Brown. Like that was James Brown tag, the hardest working man in show business. We have Christmas names, right? Like, hey, if I said, uh, who's Rudolph the? Red Nose Man, that's everybody, right? Or Buddy the Elf, right? Names, right? Nicknames. There's sport names, like Kobe Bryant wanted to be known as the what, what? The Black Mamba. He gave that to himself. It's one way to get a nickname you really want. Call me Black Mamba. Okay, not... I'm not going to do that, but it's a weird way. I do like, uh, if you like the NBA, my era when I was sort of watching a lot of basketball in the 90s, there was Gary Payton, Hall of Famer, who was known as the Glove. And if you're watching basketball now, you know his son plays, Gary Payton Jr., who's known as the Mitten, which is super cool. My current favorite, if some of you are probably aware of Victor Wembenyama, who's sort of the rising new player, he's a rookie in the NBA, this seven foot four Frenchman who's playing for the San Antonio Spurs. And they call him, his best nickname is the Stifle Tower, because he's 7'4". That's great. This Sunday, some of you heard Johnny in the welcome, is the last Sunday of our church calendar, and we, we define it by one of Jesus' names. It's Christ the King Sunday. You may have picked that up or wondered, why is Cullen, Cullen singing all these songs with the name King, Jesus as a king? It's because it's Christ the King Sunday. And again, it's the last Sunday of the church calendar to remind us who we ultimately serve and revere and give ourselves to, who our ultimate sovereign is, above everything else and everyone else, is Jesus. And next, year, next week is the first Sunday of the church calendar, Advent, and we use another name of Jesus to define that Sunday, and it's Emmanuel, right? God with us. So the beginning and the ending, the full scope of our life, our calendar, is set by who Jesus is and his names. His names teach us and draw our affection and our devotion. Your names beg, and nicknames probably beg some affection and devotion. They were shorthand in your home for ways you were loved, perhaps, or your belonging or your purpose. Sometimes we've been given names. You might have been called names. That's different than being given a name that was painful or shorthand for hurt or objectification. You could probably think back to a playground somewhere in North America or around the world and something you're called. I could, if you asked me, I could think of a couple names I was called on the playground that begged in my mind my value, my worth, my purpose, and demonstrated a lack of affection, not a giving of affection. This fall, we've been considering now for many weeks one of our names and what it means. What does it mean for us to be called the people of God? We've given our lives to Jesus. He is changing us. He is forming our identity, our sense of self, and he's giving us new names. And as we look at that this morning, we're going to return to 1 Peter. We've been looking throughout the New Testament, but we're coming back to 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter two weeks ago. We looked at 1 Peter 5, and we looked at how in becoming the people of God means we need strong leaders. This morning in chapter 2, Peter's going to do something else. And if you remember, 
We believe 1 Peter was written by Peter from Rome in the early 60s AD, about 30 years after Jesus was crucified. And Peter is writing from Rome, this letter is an encyclical to be spread around all of Northern Virginia about how we're supposed to live, about who we are, and how we're supposed to hold fast to Jesus, particularly under persecution, because there's uh, persecution happening to the young church. It's being written to many of the same people and groups that were a part of Pentecost 30 years later when Peter was there and the Holy Spirit came in the temple in Jerusalem. And he's writing this today in this chapter to stress our names and the implications of those names for us. First, Peter starts like we're going to start next week in Advent with the names of Jesus. And we learn three new names of Jesus. What do we learn? What names of Jesus does he stress? He says Jesus is the living stone. Doesn't that feel odd? What's a living stone? Anybody here ever seen a living stone other than a cartoon? A living stone. Stones are what you built on. They made things strong. And Jesus is something you build on who's alive. Peter is stressing that he is not a dead stone. He's an alive stone, redeemed, resurrected, back to life, which is what he'll offer to us. He's not redeemed, but he's resurrected. And he's going to say, I am a living stone. Peter also tells us that Jesus is the cornerstone. These are profound terms, this cornerstone term, because it, it's full of implication and echoes back to the Old Testament. Peter here is quoting from Psalm 118 and Isaiah 28. And he's saying Jesus is the cornerstone, the cornerstone that was rejected, but that you and I can build our lives on. Jesus is the cornerstone of health, of eternity, He's the way, the truth, and the life that you and I should choose to entrust and give ourselves to. The cornerstone in a building is super important. You probably know that. It sets the safety and the soundness and the structure of the entire house. So the cornerstone first sets the angle of the house. If you set it crooked, it's going to be crooked. A few months ago, there was a home being built in our neighborhood and my son and I would walk by this house a lot during the summer and if you looked at it you could tell one of the pillars one of the corner pillars was bent and they they were well into the house and after a couple weeks and my son and I looking at being like that's not right there we came by and there's some blue tape on it because they had figured out they're going to have to reset that corner pillar that cornerstone Cornerstone sets the plane and the strength of the whole house, but also sets the foundation of the whole house. You can't have a crooked cornerstone. What Peter is saying is Jesus is the cornerstone, and you can choose to build your life on him for stability, for foundation, for health, and have sound life now and eternally, or you can set yourself in that place and decide you're going to be the cornerstone. And you're going to be unsound, unsafe, and unstable. Johnny touched on this some last week, our temptation to do things ourselves. Not just me, but everybody. We're tempted, right, to make myself the cornerstone. And what Peter is saying is it's either Jesus or you. Who will you build your life on? Who are you setting your life on? The reality to Peter is that this is so important, this hearkening back to Psalm 118 and Isaiah 28, that if you've read through the life of Peter a little bit, some of us have been in Acts as a church, different small groups this fall, and you might heard the word cornerstone and go, wait, this is something Peter talks about a lot. 
I've said before, one of my preaching heroes said, all pastors or preachers have essentially five or six sermons, and we come back to them in many themes over and over. You could probably guess Johnny and I, you probably come within one or two of Johnny and I's five or six favorite sermons. And the cornerstone is one of Peter's favorite sermons. If you go back 30 years before and you read Acts 4 and you see Peter brought before the leaders of Israel who are angry at him and John for healing people in the temple, what he says to them is, you rejected the cornerstone. So Peter's been thinking about this for 30 years. What it means for him and for the entire church that's growing around the ancient Roman world to be choosing Jesus as their cornerstone or not. He also then goes on to share a more intimate name of Jesus. He says Jesus is the living stone, he's the cornerstone, and he's also God's precious chosen son. He's God's precious chosen son. Peter heard the voice of God say this at Christ's baptism, Jesus' baptism by John, right, John the Baptist, because he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We know that scene because it's repeated over and over in the Gospels. Peter was there and heard God say, Jesus is my beloved son. These profound names of Jesus. Peter's making sure that we know who Jesus is because he's gonna transition then from Jesus' names to our names and he's gonna connect them together. What are our names in this passage? What are the names you and I have? Well, these are profound and numerous, and they just roll like a waterfall. Peter says that you and I are a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a special possession, and we, too, are living stones. Anybody get up this morning and think, I am a chosen race. I am a special possession of the God of the universe. These are echoes of God's description of Israel in Exodus 19, what you heard read. God saves, redeems the people out of Egypt, brings them to Mount Sinai, and before he gives them the the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, he says, look, you need to know who you are to me. If you keep my covenant, you will be a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You'll have access to the God of the universe, the God who crushed the idols of Egypt and brought you out of Egypt, you will be my special priest with unique access and intimacy to me. There are also echoes of Jesus' description of the church in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The new church, the new Israel that Jesus is making, the kingdom of heaven. You were formerly slaves in Exodus 19. You were formerly slaves to sin, Paul teaches us. Jesus is, and Peter are now saying, and now you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession. Your names are teaching you who you are. You're not slaves anymore. This is unbelievable. We've probably often heard these, and they're, they're really important not to race past. Jesus is saying that you too, Peter is saying that you too are a living stone. You're alive. You're a part of what God's doing in the world. You're not a dead stone. 
There's two implications I want to tease out from this text. The first one is this. Peter is saying that the way God sees and feels about Jesus and Israel is the way he sees and feels about you. It's important to know Jesus' names. It's important to know what he is referencing to. It's important because Peter wants you to connect the dots that the way God feels about Jesus and Israel is the way he feels about you. That means your identity is not grounded on your feelings, whether you feel like God feels that way about you. It's not grounded on your failings. It's not grounded on your anxieties or your fears. But your identity is gripped by the unfailing strength of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's grounded like a cornerstone in Jesus' death and resurrection. Who you are could not be more set in stone if you have given your life to Jesus. This is the Presbyterian pastor and, Ed, and scholar, Ed Clowney, on this text. The church is God's inheritance, his personal and prized possession, his treasure. You are God's treasure. God bears them on his shoulders, carries them in his arms, holds them in his hand, and seats them at his feet. That sentence makes me want to cry. This is how God feels about you. I carry you on my shoulders or in my arms. I bear you on my shoulders. I hold you in my hand and I seat you at my feet. It is a wonder of God's salvation. The delight that the Father has in his son is given to you. The delight. God delights in you. You are delightful. You are delightful. You could get up tomorrow, look in the mirror and go, I am delightful to God. This is the most true thing about you, the way God thinks and feels and sees you. It's more true than anything you feel. It's more true than your physical reality. It's the most true thing about you. The delight that God takes through his son in you. The way that God delights in Jesus, that's probably easy for us mentally to go, sure, of course God delights in Jesus. Who wouldn't? Peter goes, great, because that same God delights in you the same way he delights in Jesus. I have a lot harder time believing that, to be honest. Again, don't run past it. You are precious to God. Jesus is precious to God. God feels the same way about you that he does about Jesus. Now, not... We're not doing for a poll, but pretend we were doing a poll. And I said, raise your hand on a scale of one to ten. One being, I don't believe this very often at all, if ever. And ten being, I feel really secure that way, and I'm so thankful. And I was to say, raise your hand if you're a one or a two or a five or a seven. I bet most of us are under five. Even though... You could tell me how God feels about Jesus and you love the Bible and believe the Bible and you trust what Peter says and what God says. Frankly, I have a lot easier time believing it about you than I do about myself. You could line up here, come down during communion. I would tell each one of you I believe this about God feels about you. But it's super hard to believe about me. 
And Peter doesn't want you to believe that for pride, but for humility and joy. And again, perseverance in worship. That's what he's encouraging this group of the church to do. Note the beautiful poetic cadence of these phrases. It's like a song. Adjective, noun. Adjective, noun. Adjective, noun. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a special possession. You are the living stone. Peter spent 30 years waiting to write this to you. And we touched on this two weeks ago. Don't you know he wrestled with it too? Because remember at the end of John, Peter has to call him over special for breakfast and ask him to love his sheep. Here's the redemption story. That Peter who failed Jesus in the temple was called to love his sheep at the end of John. Went to Acts 4 just a few weeks later, stood in front of the same leaders, told them they had killed the cornerstone and is still alive to write it to you and me over 2,000 years later. Does Jesus change a life? The adjectives here are super important. An adjective tells what kind of person, place, or thing a noun is. What kind? What adjectives do you use for yourself in the windmills of your own mind? I am a this. I'm so this. Look at just two of these. You are a chosen race. Chosen. Selected. Particularly highlighted and prioritized. We're picking teams for kickball and you're first. Your chosen race, whatever your ethnic identity, we have covered this some in this series, the glory and joy of God's kingdom and in this room being not one ethnic identity. Whatever your ethnic identity, you are chosen to be a part of a new spiritually formed spiritual race that represents the kingdom of heaven and Jesus. You were needed. He needed you on his team. And you are a royal priesthood. That's actually a totally new category. If you were a king or queen in the Old Testament, that was your job. You were typically not a priest. David was a king. He's not a priest. Esther was a queen, not a priest. But now in this new kingdom, what's Peter saying to you? You are the royal priesthood. How many of you have or are going to watch the crown in the next 10 weeks? How many of you look at that and go, that's me? Could be about me. I'm royal. I'm royal. You are. You are. In the eyes of God, you are a king, queen, prince, or princess. So I'd like to, to propose an Advent discipline for next, starting next week. You can take a picture of this slide right now. What if we got up every morning as a church and we pray, dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that I am in your eyes these things. I am chosen, I am royal, I am holy, I am special, I am alive. Soy elegido, soy real, soy santo, soy especial, 
estoy vivo en Jesús. Thank you. Juan S. understood my Spanish. I'm feeling pretty good about that. God bears me, carries me, holds me, and seats me at his feet. Dios me sostiene, me lleva, y me sienta a sus pies. You could pray it every morning with the Lord in English and in Spanish. You can learn Spanish if you're part of this church. You're welcome. You probably need to hear it twice anyway. If you believe the Bible, if you believe that Peter was the great apostle, if you believe and want to trust God's word, then this is what Peter is saying to you and to me. You are renamed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is not a Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok set of manifestations. I hope I feel this way if I say this over and over. These are eternal truths more real than what you can ever feel. They are objective realities of who you are. So that's implication number one. It's enough, frankly, but there's another one he stresses that we need to note. Because the names are important not just for us as the people of God, but because then we're given not just an identity, but a responsibility, which is how it goes in Scripture all the time. If you're James Brown, the hardest working man in show business, when you show up to give a concert, you have to be the hardest working man in show business. You and I are given these names for us and then to invite others to Jesus the Cornerstone as well. It isn't just for us. And you can see the seriousness if you read 1 Peter because in a couple of verses, he's gonna tell us about something waging war against our soul. And we talked in chapter five about the roaring lion. You and I are to push back the darkness. We are to fight the roaring lion. We are to, to push back and wage war on Jesus' behalf for ourselves and others. To become the people of God is to live in not just to the names, but to the responsibility of the names. Again, we're to invite others to know that giving their lives to Jesus will ground them in the same identity, the same name of Jesus, the same names we have forever. Make Jesus your cornerstone is the responsibility we are given and sent into the world to bear and to say and to live. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that. I'd encourage you to talk to me, to anyone you've seen up front, me, Juan Esteban, Johnny, Corky, and ask us, what's it like to give my life to Jesus, to make him the cornerstone? Because this is a room full of people who would tell you it's the best decision we've ever made. Do you see, back to that roaring lion, the devil's strategy as we see what Peter is encouraging? What the devil does is propose False paths, false stones, false thoughts, false actions, and false habits that promise you if you do them, you will feel what? Do this, be with these people, pick this up, pursue this, and you'll feel chosen, special, precious, alive. 
I bet if we went around and told our salvation stories, our testimonies, what we would probably describe, or these are the ways I pursued things that I thought would tell me I was chosen and special and precious and alive, but they never get, did that for me. We've said before, the devil is derivative, not creative. He takes what God does and he twists it. He can't create that, but he can beckon and call you and I to something that promises that that won't happen. Use that filter as you read the news this week. How many people are pursuing something because they think it will give them affirmation, acceptance, and approval? Make them feel special, chosen, and alive. That's the roaring lion. That's why we have to wage war. It's not a game. You are armed with the truth of eternity and sent into the world to bear witness of what it really means to be chosen and special and precious and alive. Another way to think about this responsibility from our identity is, again, to think about people you love that you wish would know they were royal and special and precious and forgiven and alive. And I know lots of you have people that you wish were here this morning. If they could just know that. Many of you would probably give your own life so they would know that. Freed from the lion. Rescued from the war. Called out of the darkness by the light of the world who's the cornerstone of heaven and earth. Who's the living stone, the precious son of God. So it's super important that you and I know who we are because it's super important then we go to do what we're called to do. You are speaking the truth to the world about what it means truly to be special and valued and to have a name that is worthy of the God who loves you and died for you and saves you. If, if we don't know this and do this, no one else will. If we don't know and do this, no one else will. So we gather. Peter says, so gather together. Sing the Lord's praises. Offer sacrifices. It's why we gather every week. To bear witness, to remind ourselves who we are so that we have the strength to go out to, and be sent into the world. We don't often pray the closing prayer of the communion liturgy that we used to pray, which is, Lord, grant us strength and courage. But that's what we need. Strength and courage. To be the people of God. To be living stones in a world desperate to know their true name. Let's pray. Lord, we are uh, so thankful that you chose Peter. It's the only stone in these verses are not about just us or you, Jesus, but about Peter, who you called the rock. And you built your church on him. Thank you that he spent decades reflecting on who you were and then had the chance to write this letter. 
to what is now Turkey to be passed down to us. I pray that my friends here, my brothers and sisters, would know deeply the truth of who they are this week. I do pray that during Advent we would offer to you this simple set of names that you've given us and it would begin to root deeply what our true identity really is. And then, Lord, would you give us chances to share again about what it means to make you the cornerstone of our lives. I pray that people might be invited to Advent services the next few weeks or come to some of the things we're doing this week for men and for women. I pray you give us words because we're nervous and we're anxious and we feel insecure about how we, knowing how to say. We, we knew that we needed Jesus to know we were chosen and special and valued. But Lord, if there's anyone here that's given their life to you, may they not leave this auditorium today without a special reminder of how you delight in them. Amen. forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again amazing Amazing love.